All right, guys, welcome in to today's episode of the Southeast Suits Podcast. It is Friday, April the 27th, 2018, and yes, it's been a little while since I've done an episode here of the Southeast Suits Podcast, but if you're someone who has visited the website, you'll understand why, because we have certainly been cranking out a lot of stories on the website since the season ended, um, and it's been all sorts of stuff, recruiting, NBA draft entrance, you name it, uh, we're keeping tabs of everything here this offseason around the world of SEC basketball. You will not find another place like it uh, to keep up to date with everything that's going on uh, around the SEC, and we try to hit as much as we possibly can uh, from a recruiting standpoint, like I mentioned, talking about the NBA draft, guys going, staying, uh, all sorts of stuff from SEC land. Uh, So be sure to continue to check that out. I'm going to have something later on at the end of the episode I'm going to talk about that will give you a better opportunity uh, to be able to stay up to date with all uh, of those stories, that way you can get them immediately, uh, and you don't have to go fetch them. They they will come straight to you. We'll talk a little bit about that later on. But the purpose of today's episode is to get back into the discussion uh, of SEC hoops, and we're going to do that with a very, very large mailbag. Uh, this is probably one of the biggest mailbags I've had thus far. Uh, no surprise, you guys always send in great questions, and I know a lot of people are excited about next season uh, considering what happened this season and then uh, knowing kind of all the talent that's going to be coming into this league and the talent that's going to be returning uh, all throughout the conference. And there's going to be a lot of great teams, and we'll talk about that here as we go along with these questions. So as always, if you want to send in a question for the mailbag, all you got to do, just uh, tag me on Twitter at Level, throw a question, uh, even if it's not a mailbag episode specifically, just send questions I'll either answer them directly on Twitter, I'll use them for a mailbag. Uh, If you've listened to this before, you know how that works. So let's go ahead and dive into the mailbag. A lot of questions to get to, uh, and I'll try to run through them and sort of keep it uh, not very long-winded because there are a lot of questions, but I'll give you uh, as much information as I can on some of these. So let's start with at Vandy underscore for life on Twitter, asks uh, Vandy's outlook for next season with and without Romeo Langford. Also, uh, how do you see Bryce Drew using Saban Lee now that they have Garland? Um, You know, good questions here, and these are ones that that Vanderbilt fans are going to continue to ask until Langford announces uh, where he's going to be playing uh, on April 30th. Very, very soon that announcement will come. I know a lot of people uh, have thoughts on that. I have my own thoughts on that. I'll keep them to myself for now. Uh, on where he'll be playing but the thing I look at next year if he if he goes to Vanderbilt certainly he he packs a punch scoring wise uh, that would be outstanding and he would make them you know in my mind an absolute lock for the NCAA tournament they'd be a top 25 team uh, when you consider that Garland's there semi shit to the other five star that uh, they would have a lot of good talent on that roster, and I think he would be someone that would give them that thing, uh, scoring-wise, just a dominant score uh, that would be able to, to really just take over a game, uh, I think. And we've seen, I mean, if you've seen this kid play, you understand that, that how well he can score the ball and sort of the explosiveness on the offensive end of the floor. Uh, without him, um, people are going to ask the question about Vanderbilt, and this is the one thing that I think – is a fair question. 
Vanderbilt loses the top four three-point shooters from this past season. Riley Chance, uh, Jeff Roberson, Matthew Fisher-Davis, Peyton Willis, uh, they're all gone. And so I think, you know, how does that production get replaced? Well, here's how Bandy's going to try to do it, and they have some options. Uh, Matt Ryan, of course, the Notre Dame transfer who set out, he's going to be able to help them there. And then you look at a guy like Aaron Naismith, who is someone that kind of gets forgotten about uh, in the talk with Garland, Shitsu, Langford, uh, all those five-star guys. But you got to remember, uh, Aaron Naismith is a guy that, that is really, really good. I mean, he's a a high-caliber player that I think is going to come in and really be able to contribute right off the bat because he's a, an outstanding shooter. Uh, he's a kid that, that has good size, athleticism. I think he's someone that, to keep an eye on. You know, if they don't get Langford, if they do get Langford, uh, he's still someone that, that's going to make an impact. And so I look at those couple guys, they've got to add that three-point shooting element because to go to the next question, you know, he asked, how does Bryce Drew use Saban Lee? Uh, when you, of course, expect Garland's going to play the point. Well, I look at it this way. I mean, Saban Lee is someone that does such an outstanding job in terms of creating off the dribble, that even if you play him, you know, at the two or whatever, in Bryce True's offense, and I think you're going to see another layer of that offense. We go back to his first year at Vanderbilt. Um, they they tried to completely put in their offense right from the get-go and really understood that, you know, it just wasn't going to work uh, with, with the pieces that they had in place. So they had to make some adjustments, kind of go back to the old style of play that they had been used to under Kevin Stallings. Um and then they've they've been able to advance that forward here as as the last couple of years have gone on. And so I think you'll see another layer of that now. Obviously, when you get more guys in there uh, that Drew sees really fit his system, you're going to see that offense advance even more. And, and it's going to involve a lot of guys being able to create off the dribble, as we've seen uh, over the past year or two since he's been there. Uh, and I think that's what Saban Lee gives them. You have guys now that can create, they can get to the lane, and they are able to kick out, like we said, for open shooters. There's a lot of different elements on this Vanderbilt offense, and it's very intriguing, uh, even if Langford doesn't come. So I think it's it's something to watch for. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about Vanderbilt later on. There's another question that's going to involve them. Uh, but, I, but I do think, you know, this is a team, with or without Langford, uh, that's going to be kind of fascinating to watch on the offensive end of the floor uh, because there are some, some very dynamic pieces on there for Bryce True this year. And the next question from the mailbag is from uh, Tony Patelis at College Hoop News. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. Just a great resource for college basketball fans. He, he talks about every team you could possibly imagine. Uh, he asks, thoughts on LSU, the expectations for the 2018-19, uh, one of the more talented teams in the country. And, yeah, I mean, Tony, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I continue. I do this sort of – I try to do this every year. I'll make just sort of an initial list of teams that I think are in the top 25, and I always say preseason polls are pretty meaningless overall. But when I kind of do mine, I kind of just break down just from a pure talent standpoint, from teams that have those intangibles, who look like the best teams in the country. And you certainly have to put LSU among that mix when you look at the roster that they're going to have coming back. Tremont Waters – Declared for the draft, uh, you know, and we're, we'll talk. This will be a common theme as we go along here, but you never know if guys are going to come back. I assume he'll be back, um, and if he does, then you know, it's it's such a <laughs> it's such a good roster. I mean, it 
there's so much talent there when you look at the guys they have coming in. Uh, Reed, Williams, Smart, Days. They've got uh, Marlon Taylor, a Juco guy that just uh, committed. And then not only that, but you add them to the guys that they have coming back. We talked about Waters, but you look at the other pieces too. Um, you've got Daryl Edwards, a guy who really came come along last year. I mean, he was someone who made significant progress. Skylar Mays, Brandon Rashaw, um, you know, you've got Bigby Williams. There's so many very sort of solid pieces on this roster, and you have elite talent at a lot of different positions. Uh, LSU is just a team that, that's going to be loaded with talent. Uh, Will Wade, as we know, has kind of put his, his personality, his stamp on that program in year one. They're going to take a huge step forward. Um, and it, it is. It's not just the guys they have coming in. The freshman class, outstanding. But it is the guys they have coming back as well when you have the catalyst in, in Waters. And then you have the, the other guys that you expect to see take even bigger step forwards, like we talked about, the Edwards, the Rashals, uh, those guys as well. Uh, those are the guys who are going to be able to help push them from really talented team that can win a lot of games uh, to a team that can, you know, be a deep, deep NCAA tournament type of team. Uh, I just, when you look at LSU on paper, they're one of those teams you look at and think that even though they're going to have a lot of underclassmen playing significant roles and being expected to contribute on a night-in and night-out basis, you still feel like they're one of those teams you could see winning the SEC next year. So uh, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all because I just think that there's enough of that, those intangibles there. Uh, incredible athleticism on that team. Uh, they're they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. When you talk about most entertaining teams in the SEC next year, uh, you're going to have to put LSU right up there at the top. So moving on to the next question. It comes from Lee Busby at Lee Busby 8 on Twitter. Uh, always sends in good ones. Your best guess as to what Auburn's rotation looks like next season, including anyone they may add. Uh, you know, Lee, and, and, and you know a lot of people probably realize this, but Auburn's roster is one of those that, that is sort of impacted by the early entry draft thing. And it's a matter of, you know, you've had several guys declare, Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, Austin Wiley, um, and you don't you don't know. You feel like you know. You feel like you, they're going to come back, but you just don't know. And I think it's always the case with these things. Um, you know, we can assume a lot of different things, and I don't know how many people thought that Mustafa Heron would, would declare for the draft and announce his intentions to sign with an agent. So I, I think that there's still unknowns there, and it's kind of early to know for sure. But if if those main guys come back, I mean, you're still looking at Auburn as a team that's right up there. When we're talking about the, the better teams in the SEC, uh, they'd have a solid eight to nine man rotation. You look at it, I think Samir Dowdy, the addition of him, he fits the style of play there perfectly, it feels like. Um, you know, in adding two guys like Wiley and Purifoy, I mean, certainly those are two guys who had an impact uh, before, you know, the, the things happened last season where they didn't play. Uh, we know how good both of those guys can be, so you certainly add them into the mix. And then Chumo Kiki's a guy that, that I really want to see in his second year because we saw him really make that progression uh, during his first year. Now he has a year of experience under his belt, uh, and so you add him to the mix. The other guys that play big roles, Auburn's still a really talented team. I mean, assuming that these guys come back, uh, they're still up there. And I know, like we talked about Heron, 
Um, they lost to Sean Murray and, and Davion Mitchell. Both of those guys certainly played key roles for them. But the talent is still there with Auburn. And it's still a matter of, you know, who else do they add? And there are some possibilities out there for them. Uh, I wrote on the website. I know a lot of you, a lot of the Auburn fans saw it. Uh, you know, they offered a kid, I think it was earlier in the week, maybe last week sometime, Ricky Torres, a nice Juco guard. Uh, he ended up committing to Wichita State on Wednesday. So he's out of the mix. But I, I know they still, you know, are, are looking at some other guys. And, and you still don't know who else is going to be added there. So, uh, Auburn's roster right now, they're unknowns, but if, if it's kind of unfolds the way that you think it will, uh, Auburn's still going to be fine, I think, and they're still going to have a chance uh, to be right up there because we know the progression that was made by a lot of these different guys, and, and if they come back, they have a chance to, to be you know really, really good uh, again next season. Next up, we go uh, from one part of Alabama to the other, and that is from uh, noted Alabama fanatic Andrew Terry at a Terry sixty five on Twitter. He asks, "Who do you expect to replace Colin Sexton in Alabama? Uh, will it be the freshman point guard Jared Butler, or will Avery go with someone like Dayson Ingram, who has experience running the point?" Uh, Andrew, good question, and I think just just so everyone's clear, and I know that most people already understand this, but. Uh, replacing Colin Sexton is not going to be an easy task uh, because you have such a unique player in the way that he helped push that offense along. We went into the season, we were talking about Alabama wanting to really play that up-tempo style, and it's because of Sexton. He really wanted to push the the envelope there and really just make them go, Um, and that's what he did, game in and game out. Now, I think you're going to look at sort of a different situation at that point guard position because you don't have a guy like Sexton on the floor um and maybe there are things that you don't really you know you're not gonna be able to do some of the same things they did with Sexton we all know that I think just just in looking at this you would probably still prefer to have Dazon Ingram play off the ball um but you know you have options and I think because he has played there before um you know he's certainly an option for them if they want to go that route uh like I said I still think that they may you know look at it and feel like if they can get another option there, they, they would prefer to have Ingram on, you know, off the ball and be able to do some things off the dribble there. Obviously, is a good shooter. Um, you look at Avery Johnson Jr., Jared Butler, like you mentioned. Um, they have options at point guard, and I think it's just a matter of seeing what changes are made on the offensive end of the floor now without Sexton because, um, you know, you have a facilitator on the floor and you feel like you have good enough options uh, elsewhere, I mean, we have to remember still who they have coming back. Like we mentioned, you have Ingram. Uh, you have John Petty, who you feel like is going to make even bigger strides next year. Uh, Tevin Mack, the Texas transfer, Dante Hall. Um, you have the the other guys, the Herb Jones, just the, the other guys in that freshman class that are taking a step forward. So I like Alabama's roster. I, I think it, it's sort of a, a mix and match of different type of styles. Uh, but I think that gives them options in terms of what they're able to do. But it will be that point guard position, and it's really going to determine how far this Alabama team can go uh, because, you know, it is. It's such a challenge to be able to replace uh, an impact player like Sexton. Uh, and I think it's going to be kind of fascinating to watch and see how they kind of approach that situation. That's one of the most interesting situations probably when we go into the summer uh, we start seeing different stuff and kind of looking at different teams and how they're they're planning to, to move forward and kind of prepare for next season. 
that point guard situation for Alabama is going to be the most fascinating thing to me to watch because that's going to be what determines, you know, whether it's a team that gets back to the NCAA tournament. The talent is certainly there when you talk about all these other guys that we've, we've mentioned. Um, but I think it's going to be an important role for, for whoever gets it. And there's a lot of, you know, they have a couple options. And I think it's just a matter of seeing how they want to play from a philosophy standpoint, uh, determining who, you know, who gets that nod there. And, you know, if it becomes a, a by committee type of thing, I think you'll see some situations uh, there with that as well. So uh, thanks as always, Andrew, for the question. Next up, uh, we go to Brad Cavallaro, someone who does uh, some great work, college basketball work on Twitter. Be sure to follow him as well. Uh, does a podcast with uh, Kevin Sweeney at CBB Central. Uh, but Brad's on Twitter at BradCav2. He asks, do you think uh, Quindary Weatherspoon or Lamar Peters stays in the draft? Where would Mississippi State stand without one or both? Um, you know, like we mentioned earlier, I tend to think that a lot of these guys who are entering early will come back, but you never know how that process is going to unfold. And, you know, I think both of them are significant draft prospects for 2019. In this year's draft, I don't really know. Uh, but if I assume now that both will be back, it may things very interesting for Mississippi State. Uh, if they don't, if let's just say, you know, out of the realm of possibility, and, and I don't think this is going to be the case, but let's say they both stay in the draft, decide to go pro, uh, pursue opportunities there, whether it's in the NBA or elsewhere, um, it would be a significant loss because those are two the two driving forces, I think, for them offensively. It would be a very significant loss if, if both of those guys didn't come back. Should they come back? Uh, I look at Mississippi State as a team that's sort of getting ready to really take off because we saw them sort of make their their presence felt this year. Uh, the one thing we kept going back to was that non-conference schedule and wondering if it was going to be tough enough for them uh, to, to get through the grind of the SEC. Well, it turns out they kept getting better and better, and they kept having opportunities to win some games. And then you saw them make that run in the NIT. I think this is a program with a lot of momentum. And when you look at the potential guys that could be coming back, um, you know, Eric Holman is another guy who declared for the draft. I assume he'll be back, but we don't know. This is all speculation because you never know how things are going to unfold in that draft process. You don't know the feedback that guys are going to get. And you have to remember, it could be a situation where, you know, guys decide to to pursue other opportunities, and you don't really know how that's going to work out. But if you look at what Mississippi State could have coming back, um, it's very, very intimidating to look at their roster because you have a lot of size, you have a lot of athleticism, you have playmakers. Um, Mississippi State, and look, that talented freshman class, as we know, Reggie Perry, Robert Woodard, DJ Stewart, um, you add that to guys who really sort of made big strides last year, Abdullah Du, uh, Nick Weatherspoon, of course, he's coming back. I, I love this Mississippi State roster, uh, and I think they have an opportunity to make that next jump into that top five tier in the SEC uh, because th- there's just there's so many sort of uh, interesting players and there's a lot of guys who can make plays on a consistent basis i love the size like i said you have quindary weatherspoon someone who has just kind of molded himself into one of the better guards in the league lamar peters as well 
uh, Tyson Carter. You've got a lot of different sort of – you've got depth. Let's just put it that way. You've got depth if you're Mississippi State, if those guys come back. So I would keep my eye on Mississippi State, and certainly everybody will be keeping their eye uh, on that May 30th deadline for the draft because that's where we're going to know a lot more about teams because you just it's so hard to gauge – uh, whether guys are going to be coming back, whether they're going to stay in. You just don't know at this point. Uh, but Mississippi State would absolutely be the real deal uh, if those guys come back and the roster stays intact as it is now. Still several more questions to go, and now we move on to Jimmy Crawford. He is at one Bama Jimbo. He asks, is there a team that you think could be this year's Tennessee, meaning a team with low expectations, appearing to be low on talent, but could have a stellar season? Uh, I love this question because uh, it is it is interesting to think about. Um, and, you know, it's probably hard to find a team in the SEC that's that low on talent. Uh, I mean, you know, it's just <laughs> we see the talent coming in and out of this league, and it's probably hard to gauge it from that perspective. But if we're talking about teams that, that may go into next year with, I don't want to say, you know, expectations that they're just not going to be any good, but expectations that, that, you know, they're going to have to really put some things together to be able to move uh, into that that top tier when we talk about in the SEC. I, I look at a team like South Carolina, who I, I was one of the ones going into this past season. I just didn't see it with South Carolina, and I just thought they had lost too much from, from that Final Four team, and you didn't really know how they were going to put things together offensively, and that turned out to be a problem for them, uh, even with, with guys like Silva, Coatsar, all those guys that, that they had back that played a role, but you lost for Kim Felder, who you know at this point will not rejoin the program. We saw that come out earlier in the week. Um, but, but South Carolina, the depth still probably not there, um, and you know the expectations I don't think are going to be to be a, a top-five SEC team. But if Silva comes back, he's entered into the draft, uh, and Brian Bowen is the other guy. He's he's that X factor. He's the one that is the big unknown right now because he's also entered the draft because we don't yet know what his eligibility is going to be. If he comes back and plays, if, he, if he's able to play, he adds quite a punch for, for South Carolina. And knowing Frank Martin – Knowing how some of those young guys progressed, like a guy like Justin Manaya, uh, who will go into his sophomore year, I don't know. I mean, I'm just throwing out South Carolina because I was kind of looking at their their roster this week and really trying to get a feel. Uh, but they're one of those that you really don't know and you can't really get a feel on. Do I think South Carolina could could win the SEC next year? It's hard to see, but I look at you know trying to compare a team to a Tennessee. Uh, from this past year and it's it's hard to do right now because I look around and I really see so many really good teams I mean I think that's kind of what it comes down to is you just look around uh, and you see so many good teams and we're going to talk about that in a question here in a couple minutes um, that that it's sort of hard to kind of pinpoint a team that you could say well that could be uh, the Tennessee but you know you look at someone I think South Carolina I I don't really know everybody else I mean I will talk more about that but they're, they're an interesting team just because of Bowen, and you don't really know. If he plays, I mean, look, he he was a very highly coveted uh, prospect, and you add him to Silva, who's going to be better. The, the front line with Coatsar, of course, like I said, Justin Manaya, 
Um, it could be an interesting case where you have a very tough-minded team, kind of like Tennessee was, and we know South Carolina is going to play defense. Um, so, so that would be one I would throw out as of late April. <laughs> that that's going to change probably a lot between now and the time the season gets here. Uh, but, but I'm just doing that because I think South Carolina is a team that you really don't have a feel for right now. But you can see them uh, really making a big jump, possibly if, if that depth is there and if they're able to get some of these guys back, like we said, on the court. Uh, Next up, and this is sort of a a repeat question from earlier, but I'm just going to put it in there. Um, At Guy Fontenot, I think it is, uh, G-U-Y underscore F-O-N-T-E-N-O-T. Yes, uh, Blake, with all the top-shelf talent the LSU Tigers have coming in this year, can you give me your take on what kind of season they'll have? Like I mentioned earlier, I think LSU, the sky's the limit for this team. Uh, Will Wade has really put his stamp on that program all the recruits they have coming in, uh, with all the guys they have coming back. I could see LSU starting the season in the top 15. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Um, I think they're that loaded, and they have a chance to, to really do some special things this year. I mean, I mentioned earlier, the one thing you look at, you're relying on a lot of underclassmen probably, but I think it's those other guys that they have coming back uh, that could really help them in that area and give them a lot of depth. Uh, to work with. So LSU is going to be a a very, very entertaining team to watch, and I would be surprised if they're not right there in the top five in the SEC uh, next season. A couple things to wrap it up here. The next one uh, from College Hoops 24-7 at 365CBB. He asks, would you consider Bryce Drew a top five coach in the conference? I think he's about to achieve and do things at Vanderbilt that we never thought could be done at Vandy. Not hating on you, Vandy. Um, I think that's hard. It's hard to rank coaches when we look at that. I mean, and it's probably equally hard to put Bryce Drew in the top five. Um, and that's not a knock on Bryce Drew, but you look at the coaching talent in the SEC. And like I said, it's so hard to rank it. If you had to ask me to rank one through 14, that would be a very tough task because I mean, there, there's a lot of different criteria you could look at and say, well, is it based on this? Is it based on that? Um, but you know, let's just talk about this, this roster again. And we've, we mentioned this last year. It's one of the main things we talked about before we went into the season, the coaching roster in the SEC, just as talented as it's ever been. You look at the the two guys who've come in this off season, Tom Crean takes over at Georgia. Kermit Davis takes over at Ole Miss. I mean, Crean's a guy, he's been to a final four, add that to the, to the list of, of guys in the SEC as head coaches now who have been to the final four. Um, and, you know, he had all that success he had. Look at Kermit Davis, what he built at Middle Tennessee. Now he takes over an Ole Miss program that is in really good shape thanks to what Andy Kennedy did there. Um, it's just the, the list goes on and on in this league in terms of just high-quality coaches. Uh, but there's no doubt that Bryce Drew is is sort of putting himself in a position to achieve things at Vanderbilt uh, that, that maybe we haven't seen in a while because of this talent that he's able to get in. Obviously, we talked about the, the big recruiting class and what he could have if Romeo Langford joins the mix as well. Um, but, but yeah, there's no doubt. Bryce Drew was a great hire for Vanderbilt. We're seeing that play out. We knew it was going to take a little time for him to kind of reshuffle some things on the roster and bring in guys for his style of play. Uh, but that's not a knock on, on what they had last year with what guys like Riley LeChance, Jeff Roberson did. I think that's something to keep an eye on, too, with this Vanderbilt team is how they replace not just the shooting ability of those two guys, but really replace the intangibles that they brought to the floor. True leaders, true representatives of a program, and they had just a phenomenal, 
finish to their season, even though Vanderbilt really struggled. Uh, those are two guys, I think, that, that continue to sort of uh, do things that, that they just didn't quit, and they were able to really push forward. I think it's going to be interesting to watch and see how they replace the intangibles of those two guys. But they, like I mentioned earlier, they got a lot of talent coming in uh, that's going to really give them a chance to win some games this year. So let's wrap it up with this question. It's the one that's probably the most uh, intriguing for a lot of people. Uh, at, uh, he's Matthew Landry. Always uh, enjoy his interactions at Landry1117. He asks, which teams do you think make the tournament from the conference never too early? Uh, it's never too early, Matthew, whenever uh, you know all the rosters that are currently in place, but it is kind of hard to do when you still have so many unknowns from this the draft entrance and all that. Uh, but I'm going to give it a good shot, and I'm going to try to just look at this based on what we know now and what I assume will happen with, with some of these guys that could be coming back. Um, as a whole in the SEC, I think you're looking at another season where – you feel like getting eight teams in is probably about the right number. Um, I just I think that's kind of a situation that, that feels right to me, that you're probably looking at another year where seven solidly are into the field. Uh, maybe you get an eighth that's a bubble team or however you want to look at it. That's probably the situation, again, if you just look at things as they stand right now. Um, I have no idea. I haven't done this yet, and it'll be a little while before I start doing this, but... I don't know what order I would put these teams in, and I don't usually get into that until late summer. Uh, But when you actually just look at the teams themselves, Kentucky, obviously, uh, if P.J. Washington, Jared Vanderbilt, if they come back, they're loaded. They're an NCAA tournament team. I really like this freshman group, and that's not a knock on the one they had this past year. But I think this freshman group they have coming in uh, is going to be able to to help propel them with what they have coming back. Winnie Gabriel, of course, had such a, a, a big step forward for him last year. So Kentucky, they would be in. Tennessee has all that talent coming back. They don't really lose anyone. I assume Admiral Schofield will be back. Um, Auburn, even with the unknowns, I'm going to you know feel like they're going to bring most of those guys back that declared for the draft. They're still talented enough to make the tournament. Uh, LSU, we talked about them. Florida, Florida's got a really, really – fun recruiting class coming in in 2018 that's going to add to the to what they're going to have come back and and they're still one of those teams that's in a situation where you don't really know you know Jalen Hudson you feel like he'll be back but we don't know that officially uh Kayvon Allen Kavarius Hayes Keystone all those guys are coming back and like you mentioned you add to what they have freshman wise Florida's an NCAA tournament team in my eyes right now Mississippi State um, they're, they're, they're really, you know, I think they're going to make that jump and get into the tournament. Vanderbilt looks like a team that, that's built to get there. We mentioned Alabama, just figuring out a way to replace Sexton. Um, and, and are you going to get enough consistency on offense elsewhere? Texas A&M is, is an interesting situation. Robert Williams is gone. Tyler Davis has declared for the draft. DJ Hogue is gone. Um, you don't, no, kind of. I think there's still some possibilities there. Admon Gilter also on the early entrance list. So a and still kind of a hard team to figure out. Georgia and Ole Miss, like we talked about, two teams that, that are still, I don't think you know what to really expect in year one for, for Green and Davis there. You feel like maybe they're going to have some pieces to, to rebuild. 
South Carolina, I mentioned them as an intriguing team. You know, you don't know if Owen plays. You don't know if Silva's coming back. Uh, a lot of unknowns there with them. Missouri, sort of the same situation. Jonte Porter's declared for the draft. Michael Porter, we know, is already gone. Uh, Cassius Robertson losing him, that was such a, a big loss because of how well he played for them just in that guard role last year. I think how they replace him is something to watch for. Arkansas is going to be young, but they certainly have Gafford coming back. Um, and they have a, a very, very, you know, sort of solid recruiting class. And so th- there's a lot of unknowns on these rosters. I think it'd be hard to say specifically. Um, I-, I feel, you know, like it's eight teams and it's sort of a combination of possibly adding in a couple of those last teams. But, you know, if you ask me right now, Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, LSU, Florida, Mississippi State, um, you know, Vanderbilt, Alabama, A&M. I mean, it's, it could go a lot of different directions. Um, and it's hard. It's so hard to say right now. But I think you're talking about eight teams getting in uh, feels like the right number. Uh, because I, I think you could have a, a situation where, realistically, uh, maybe depending on what happens with a couple of these guys that are still uh, in limbo draft-wise, and maybe it was a situation like Vanderbilt where you don't know if Langford's coming or not, um, you could realistically have six SEC teams starting the season in the top 25. Uh, and I don't that wouldn't be a stretch to me because I think there's so much talent there uh, when you look at it overall. So, uh, not a cop-out answer, I promise, Matthew, but it's just it's hard to look at. I think when you when you go down the line, look at the rosters on these teams, uh, you feel pretty good about half of this league right now and feeling like they feel like surefire NCAA tournament teams. Um, and you, you still have enough questions with the other half uh, to still not be sure on how you kind of see things unfolding there. But, hey, as we know, uh, you look at last year, where was Tennessee picked? And, you know, there you go. That should tell you it's it's so many uh, unknowns when you talk about this league, the unpredictability, but it's all because of the depth. Uh, and, and it's going to be sort of a replay from this past year, and I think it's going to be even better for the SEC. When you talk about teams that are built to make deep runs in the tournament, you didn't really see a lot of teams do that this past year, but I think next year, because of the talent that's come in and because of the possibilities, the coaching and all that, as we know, I think you're going to have a chance to see sort of a year where you've got maybe four or five different teams that feel like they are built deep enough uh, to make a run to to a Final Four. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and this was a lot of fun to do uh, here in the first mailbag uh, episode of the offseason. I really do appreciate you guys uh, sending in these questions. I know you're excited for next season, and it will be here before we know it. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to give you another chance to, to really have an opportunity to keep up with everything that's going on. As you've probably seen, I don't really, I'm not on Twitter as much as I am during the season. Uh, still there, still doing things. Uh, you can, like I said, send in questions at the Blake level uh, or message me, however you want to do it, perfectly fine. But I spend so much time writing now that I don't want you guys to miss anything because I don't always get a chance uh, to put the stories on Twitter. So to do that, uh, you can just throw your email address, and what it will do, you can either have the option of getting all new posts sent directly to your email, so meaning as soon as a post goes up, you'll get an email notification, you'll see the story, you can click on it, read the whole thing, or 
you can get it all sent uh, daily. At the end of the day, uh, every evening, you can just get a, a one email sent that has the, all the stories that have gone up during the day. Uh, so you have options. If you want to keep up with everything that's going on in SEC basketball this offseason, that's the way to do it. Just go over to southeastoops.com slash email. That's where you can just throw your email in. You'll see uh, I'll have everything explained there on the page, and you can see the options, and then you can sign up for whichever one you want. makes it much easier to follow everything. I know you don't have a chance to check the website a uh, hundred times a day, but I do have a ton of stuff going up on recruiting. We'll continue to have uh, more kind of player profiles, all sorts of stuff going up uh, to get you ready for next season. So be sure to check that out, and be sure to subscribe to the Southeast Hoops podcast on iTunes. Just search for Southeast Hoops. That way you can subscribe, get every episode delivered uh, as soon as they go up. And I'll start to have more episodes coming. Uh, for those of you who have been long subscribers, you remember how I did it last offseason. Uh, we'll kind of have that common theme going as we go here throughout the offseason. So uh, thanks as always for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.